Welcome, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join our senior pastor, Wayne Alcorn, from Hope Centre Brisbane, for his message. So good to be here on what is a very significant weekend. Um, I'm going to tell you something. I am inspired at what our church is doing here to make a difference right around the world. It's absolutely incredible. I get the fact, and I'm thrilled about the fact, that you understand that mission doesn't just happen over there. It starts here. It starts at our back door, and it goes right around the planet. And and I'm incredibly proud of you. I'm going to tell you something. I'm grabbing everything that you've produced. That that I've already sent a text this morning to my team in Brisbane. Get your act together. DLC is set in the bar here high for us to do mission and uh, we're looking forward to just new levels of partnership because the bible says one can put a thousand two can put ten thousand to flight we are better together amen and so thank you for all you're doing pastor ben and daniel are doing an awesome job out here we're incredibly proud of them yeah 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 and our team our team we love them Seriously, Lynn and I just don't see a separation of our Desert Life Hope Centre teams. We're just one big family and we get together every year in October and we, we eat too much and we play football together and do all kinds of things. We even pray occasionally. And, uh, um, but it's just it's really, really cool to see what God is doing. And uh, as Pastor Ben says, he says I'm his spiritual dad. The people at nearly every restaurant we've been to lately think I'm his actual dad. Uh, <laughs> Lynn's a school teacher. I went, to, um, I went to drop something years ago, this was. Years ago, I went to drop some things off uh, at the classroom for her. And I knock on the door and the kids yell out, Mrs. Alcorn, your father's here. <laughs> it's quite unkind the way you responded to that. <laughs> Do you have the book of James with you? Yes. Hello, James. <laughs> Hello, Mez. Mez, James, you still married? <laughs> it's good. As long as it's working for you, it's fantastic. <laughs> See, some things belong together, don't they? James and? Yes. Fish and? Yes. Black and? White. Royalty. Will and? <laughs> See that? All the young ones said grace and... The older monarchers said Kate. More royalty. Ben and? Or codename Ginger. Batman and? Ernie and? James would say there's two others. Faith and? Faith and works. So we're going to read today from my new version of the Bible. Darlene Check came and did worship together. I know some of you checked it out online and a couple of the team were, were over in Brisbane for it. Darlene was there and she gave Lynn and I the, uh, the Passion Translation. It's a really good Bible. Just a little bit missing, most of the Old Testament. That's just that's aside. Um, but it's got the New Testament and it's got Psalms and Proverbs. And uh, I've been using it as my personal devotional Bible uh, in recent weeks. 
And so I'm going to use the, the Passion Version. I hope we've got, the, got it on the screen. If not, I'm going to read a fair chunk of James chapter 2. In fact, the last half of that incredible chapter to you. And then we're going to dive in on this important weekend. I want you, even as we're, we're sharing this morning, to be allowing the Holy Spirit to whisper to you. Because you know something? You can't sit and hear those stories. You can't hold magazines like the team have prepared for us in your hand as a believer and be unmoved. We've already said that faith requires works. I'm going to ask you today to do something. So I want you to whisper to heaven, I'm ready for a miracle. I'm ready to be part of a miracle. Are you ready today? We're going to go on a journey of faith. Are you ready? Who's not? We all are. Okay, let's move forward. James chapter 2. My dear brothers and sisters, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? How can this kind of faith save anyone? For example, if a brother or sister in the faith is poorly clothed and hungry and you leave them saying, goodbye, I hope you stay warm and have plenty to eat, but you don't provide them with a coat or even a cup of soup, what good is your faith? So then faith that doesn't involve action is phony whoa but someone might object and say one person has faith and another has works go ahead then the dirty harry part of the book of james go ahead then (laughs) and prove to me that you have faith without works and i will show you faith by my works as as proof that i believe you can believe all you want that there is one true god that's wonderful even demons know this and tremble with fear before him. Yet they're unchanged. They remain demons. Oh, feeble sons of Adam. Do you need any further evidence that faith divorced from good works is phony? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham found righteous before God because of his works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Can't you see how his action cooperated with his faith? And by his action, faith found its full expression. So in this way, the scripture was fulfilled because Abraham believed God. His faith was exchanged for, his, for God's righteousness. So he became known as the lover of God. What a reputation. So now, it's clear that a person is seen as righteous in God's eyes, not merely by faith alone, but by his works. And the same is true of the prostitute named Rahab who was found righteous in God's eyes by her works for she received the spies into her home and helped them escape from the city by another route. Verse 26 probably summarizes it all. Here it is. For just as faith without the spirit is dead, is a dead corpse, so faith without the expression of good works is dead. Is dead. Some early church leaders thought that James and Paul were at odds. With Paul's understanding of salvation through faith and James' demand for works by a believer. But study of scripture... See, when when we read the Bible, we should never take one line on its own. We should never take one verse on its own. In fact, even one chapter or even a book. The Bible is like a jigsaw puzzle. And one piece on its own never tells the whole story. Okay? 
And even the book of James doesn't tell its whole story. In fact, sometimes we take the book of James and, and, and like some people, Allah, Martin Luther, who didn't believe the book of James even belonged in the canon of Scripture. But when you take it and you put it in the light of the whole counsel of God and you actually take a step back and allow the Holy Spirit to show you, you begin to realize that there is harmony between what James and Paul were teaching. Here's the deal. James doesn't diminish the work of God's grace. He simply, you ready for this? He simply understands that we were not saved by works. Here's the big red light moment. We were saved for works. Works will never get you to heaven, but once you've received a dose of heaven into your soul, you want to bring heaven to earth in Jesus' name. See, Paul, Paul, actually, let's just go there for a minute. The book of Ephesians, Paul writes chapter 2. Oh, I love the book of Ephesians. It's two halves. First half, who is Jesus? Second half is how we live once we've discovered him. It's an amazing little book. And in this chapter, chapter 2 of Ephesians, he shows both works and grace and faith all operating together. Verse 7, throughout the coming ages, we, we will... Oh, I love this verse. We will be the visible display. If we got up there, you want to read these next few lines with me? Of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. Anybody grateful for that today? Oh, I'm telling you, the infinite, limitless riches of the grace of an amazing God has been showered upon us. Many in this room can stand up and say, thank God I even remember the the moment that that flooded my soul. If you've never got to that moment, we're going to give you an opportunity in just a few minutes to connect with a living and loving God because he is good. Somebody say amen. Listen, he goes on further. For it was not only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him, nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast. For salvation is never, say never, is never a reward for good works or human striving. It's so important to understand there is no stairway to heaven. Good works will never get you there. Correct or not? But once we have discovered this limitless incredible, infinite love of God that changes our life from the inside out, guess what? Read on in verse 10. You see, when, when the scripture was written, we, it wasn't written the way we have it now, broken down in a chapter and verse. It was just one continual message. The continual message we have now goes on in what we have is verse 10. We... If you have an NIV or perhaps a New King James, it might say we are his workmanship. Some versions say his masterpiece. You're sitting beside a pre-planned masterpiece. Did you know that right now? But look at how the Passion Version says it. We've become his poetry. A recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Okay? So far, it's been about grace that we access by faith. Now, it switches. Because of that, the last line in this incredible verse, even before we were born, 
God planned in advance our destiny. You ready for this? And the good works. Say good works. The good works we would do to fulfill it. Isn't that amazing? Up until then, it's grace. It's the faith that we that access all of his goodness. And God says in his word, now that you've received all that, you can't just keep it to yourself. You've been changed by him. Now go and change your world for him. That's a great way to live. Amen. That's a, that's a, this is the responsibility. See, Paul is addressing the means of salvation. But James reminds us of the marks of salvation. Okay, the means of salvation is grace and grace alone. Come on, say amen, 8.30 service. It is only by grace. That's the means of salvation. But James says, now that we've been saved, now that we've discovered the wonder of God's grace, how can we do anything else but go and tell a dying world about a living and loving God? There are marks of our salvation. Good preaching. I'm going to come over to you guys over here. The, the marks of salvation only through Jesus we were saved but hey I'm going to tell you something there are some things here that we are doing as a people of faith changed by a loving God that wants a lost hurting chaotic world to know how good he is and each one of us I'm going to challenge you if this is your church this is a day to be involved a new day to be involved. I'm believing for the greatest investment into world-changing, community-changing mission that we've ever known as a church today. You ready to be part of a miracle? See, James says this. Three big points that I want to draw out. Here they are. Number one, belief is not enough. Say that with me. Belief is not enough. It needs hands and feet. See, he poses a question. What good is your faith unless you show it? He gives an example in verse 15 and 16 about the person that's hungry, person that's needing clothes, and you go by and you say, hey, hope it goes well with you. God bless you. Be warmed and be blessed. Just speak it out there. James says, you know something? That doesn't make one ounce of difference in that hurting, hungry person's life. Hope on its own is empty. I want to live beyond the cliche. Christian cliches don't change the world. Good intentions won't heal brokenness. Sermonettes on Facebook don't reach lost people. In fact, can I tell you something? Some of our ugly rants push them further away from the kingdom of God. Now little throwaway Christian lines don't feed hungry children. Only food does that. And I am ready to live out a practical faith at a level like I've never known before. I'm feeling challenged. I'm feeling stretched. I've already made a massive commitment, Lynn and I, to what we're doing in the Brisbane half of our church family. And I wake up this morning and I'm praying over this card. The Holy Spirit says, is this your church or not? 
You going to be part of it or not? Of <sighs> course I am. Let me tell you something. Pastor Ben and Danielle and Pastor Wayne and Lynn will never ask you to do something we don't do ourselves. Promise. Really the call of this passage we've been reading today is to live beyond the shallow, transcend the flippant and the religious and be authentic. Authentic faith is visible. Visible signs of the work of an invisible God within us. I want to live that kind of life, amen? Life's short. If you go to the cemetery, you'll find that place filled and there's tombstones everywhere and there's two dates, the day someone was born and the day they passed away and there's a little dash. We live in the dash. I want my dash to count. Nudge your neighbour and say, make your dash count. It was the year 2000 that Lynn Lynn and I were called to the red light part of Brisbane City. I actually was convinced God had called us to a different church, a bigger church with a nice big car park, beautiful auditorium. They even had a playground for the children. We'd spent over 20 years in youth ministry and I thought, God, you need to give me that. I deserve that. And God sent us to the red light district in a broken down old building covered with graffiti in a declining congregation. And I said, God, you hate me. <laughs> Remember the first day we went there, I said, Lynn, it feels like we got second prize. And God arrested our hearts by the time we got there. Here's the truth. Within a month of going to that church, which is our church. It was once called Glad Glad Tidings Tabernacle. It's now called Hope Santa. One month after that, I said, Lynn, I'm I'm ten times happier here than if we'd gone to the other place. Because he'd arrested our heart. was surrounded with broken people. You get emotional even thinking about it now. The whole community broken. Red light area, people, young girls selling their bodies for the next hit of drugs. Crime everywhere. God began to speak to our heart out of Isaiah 58 and he said, is this not the fast that I've chosen for you? Basically that you look after people, you care for the broken, you give them food when they're hungry, you give them dignity when the world has stripped it away from them. And you know what he said? And if you do that, you will be, here it is in verse 11 and 12, you'll be known as the repairer of the breach and a restorer of streets to dwell in. Basically make life doable again for people in Jesus' name. Make your Christianity practical. That's the message of James. I believe that's what God is saying to our church. I don't believe it's just something we talk about in missions month and get back on into our holy huddle and live a cliched life again. We can't do that. We are salt and light. We're meant to be agents of social change in Jesus' name. And our story has been amazing and, you know, a lot of you know it and it it continues and and you are part of the unfolding story. I want it to count. Belief is not enough. This magazine here is incredible. You've done a great job on it. The team have produced it. It's wonderful. And every person that's contributing to it, God bless you. It's incredible, the story of what's happening 
in the communities and what's happening in the DV shelter and going to the prison. You know what Jesus said? I've been, I've been so arrested by two things in recent weeks, springing out of the book of James, the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew 25. I get to Matthew 25 and Jesus says, you know what? I was in prison and you visited me. And they said, right, we don't remember doing that, Jesus. And he said, you know what? When you went to them, even the least of these, you came to me. Whatever you did to people that the world doesn't think matters. You did it to the little ones, some version says, the least of these. You've done it to me. So when we go and help the victims and when we go and help the prisoners and when we go and help people in the community, some of whom are people that that the communities in, in, in certain parts of affluent Australia, they've been forgotten. But they're not forgotten by God's people because they matter in Jesus' name. Some of the incredible things which we're doing globally in places like India and Africa. It's incredible. It's inspiring. We can't turn a blind eye. We've only got one life. We want it to count. We've been changed by God and we want to somehow play our part in changing the world for him. Somebody say amen. You see, the second thing that James is saying here is that the belief that doesn't affect behavior is useless. Verse 18, someone might object and say, one person has faith and another has works. Go ahead then, prove to me that you have faith without works and I'll show you by faith by my works as proof that I believe. Verse 19, you can believe all you want that there's one true God. That's wonderful. You know what? I've met a lot of people who are believers and that's where it ends. I don't want to just be a believer. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a practical, living, dynamic proof that God's changed me on something that's happened on the inside. I want everybody to experience in his name. He says, that's good if you believe. He said, that's wonderful. You've met people who go, oh, how wonderful. I think he's even being a little cynical here. Well, that's wonderful, isn't it? Listen to this. James had a slightly English accent just then. It's wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it? (laughs) Listen to this. Even demons know this. And they tremble with fear before him. Yet they're unchanged. Still demons. Whoa. Whoa. See the faith versus works debate surfaces again. And James uses a very provocative illustration here of demons. What he's really saying is, just knowing something doesn't change anything. Let me tell you something. It doesn't even change you. There is a process that God wants to take every human being on. Here it is. Revelation. Another word for revelation. Discovery. Which moves to belief. Remember that conversation that Jesus had in Matthew 16? Who do people say I am? Well, they say you're this, that, the other. And they said, cool, who do you say I am? So, well, you're the Christ. See, they, they went from discovery to belief. You're the son of the living God. We believe in you. And then, then here's the deal. Belief moves us to lordship. And then lordship, are you ready? Must move to lifestyle. And a lot of people bail or stop at a certain point. I know who he is. 
You know lots and lots of people say, I believe in God. Full stop. We not only need to know about him, believe in him, make him Lord. I'm a preacher's kid. I used to hear over and over and over this line. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. It's got to affect everything we do. The way we think, the way we live, the way we speak, the way we respond, the way we quickly forgive, and the way we give. Our lives have been changed. And we've got to show it. Drove past John Flynn's grave yesterday. What an incredible story. Presbyterian minister changed by the grace of God. He'd been radically changed. But then he, he made a discovery. People in the Aussie bush lacked what most people on the coast had. Access to adequate and quick medical care. So he set up the world's first flying ambulance. First. Royal Flying Doctor Service. was started by a Christian. And in his wake, there's somewhat like 14 or 15 hospitals started also around the outback. Here's somebody that said, you know what? I want my faith to be practical. I had a man called Kenny stand on stage with me just a couple of weeks ago. Kenny inspires me. He's a Pakistani brother who, who just felt he needed to get a new life. And, and he came out of the persecution as a Christian in, in Pakistan and, and on a promise from somebody that they'd meet him and take care of him if he flew to Australia and moved to the city of Brisbane. He got to the, the airport looking forward to meeting this guy who never turned up. He had his address, so he used his last few dollars to go to the guy's house. Wasn't there. A taxi driver from Brisbane's driving past. A brother from the subcontinent just saw this man standing on the footpath looking a little disoriented. He pulled up, said, what's happening? He told him his story, said, get in, I'll take you to my house. Drove into his house and fed him and has become a guide and a support and a mentor ever since. Now, you know what Kenny does? He and a team of people have been going into the detention centre where people who jump on boats and come to our land looking for a better life. And and we we can sit and watch them on television. We've all sat there and we've judged and we said, how dare you come to our nation and skip the line? I'm not here pushing a political issue today. I'm just saying if I was living in some of the hell holes that some people are are living in, I'd want to get out of there too. And they came and they're, they're, they're there and, and, and Kenny and a team of people have gone and fed them and government policy's changing and that centre's closing and, and now some of those people living in the community, Ken spends every weekend going and helping them. He goes shopping with them individually and turns $50 into around $200 worth of food, shows them how to cook it and look after them. He recently came to my office, I've got to show you a photo, just a couple of months ago. He showed me a photo of a granny flat that he and his wife, he's not on a high wage, but he and his wife spent $30,000 building a granny flat in his backyard. I said, what do you do this for? He said, lots and lots of people are coming to our city, Wayne, just like me. And I don't only want to give them shelter, I want to give them dignity. I want to help them get set up in a great life. See, freely he'd received, freely he gives. We gave him a giraffe award in our church for people to stick their neck out for others. <laughs> I'm inspired. You see, my faith has to affect my behavior. 
The way I live has got to be changed. And there's many more like in this people in this room. I saw some of them standing on stage and they represent others of you that are sitting in the community of faith here today that, that we've got to do something about what we know. Here's the final thought. The call to authentic faith is all-inclusive. It's universal. Time won't allow us again to read verse 21 to 25, but James draws on two vastly different characters to illustrate this important point. That this is the challenge to behave in a way that reflects what we believe is not just for a select group, it's not just for the mission team that might stand on here. It's not just for the lead pastors or, or a few in leadership. No, no, this is for everybody. It is a requirement on everybody that believes in Jesus to behave differently for him. So he uses Abraham and Rahab. Can you get two more diverse characters? My goodness. Abraham a male, Rahab a female. Abraham a Jew, Rahab a Gentile. Abraham, a man of distinction. Rahab, a woman of ill repute. But both of them in Scripture are declared firstly as righteous and secondly as people of faith. Do you know why? They knew something, so they did something. They knew something. They knew about this amazing God, the creator of heaven and earth. And in response to him, they did something. I said it already, but I want to repeat. To know something and do nothing about it changes nothing. Not even you. They were both declared righteous because they actually responded with action to the things they knew in their heart. Abraham passed the obedience test. He was willing to sacrifice what he loved. And Rahab, though an outsider for so long, bought into God's plan and purpose for salvation. So you know what James is trying to show us with those two incredibly diverse characters? We're all called. We all have a responsibility it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter where we're from. Because all roads, no matter where, how wide and how far and how long they are, if they lead to Jesus, from Jesus, the path's the same. Not only to heaven, but as our lead pastor's already said this morning, to bring a little of heaven to earth in his name. I constantly sit there asking my que- myself this question. What would our communities be like if we all embraced this kind of teaching? I honestly think if if we live this, I'm all for prayer meetings. Thank God for the prayer meeting. Tonight, there's a prayer meeting. Pray for Queensland. It needs it. (laughs) Thank God for prayer. Hey, listen, we need to pray. But you know what? Once we've been in these moments of prayer, guess what? Here, all ears open. We can leave these places changed by an encounter with the Spirit of God and then we can walk out this door and be the answer to prayers that some other people are praying. They don't even know their prayers sometimes. They're like, oh God. It's a cry for help deep within a broken soul. And you and I can be the answer to the prayers that other people are praying. 
Oh, God, we want to move of you. He said, no, I want to move of you. Let's start doing something in Jesus' name. Sacrifice, kindness, obedience. There's lots of words for it. Generosity. They're all summarized by one word. You know what it is? F-A-I-T-H. Faith. But faith can't be a creed. It can't be a belief system alone. It's got to affect our behavior. Last word from James. For as the human body without the spirit is a dead corpse, so faith without the expression of good works is dead. I have, over the years of pastoral work, like many of the medical people in this room, been around people that have actually passed on. And you look at them. You knew them. And now there's something different. Something's not there anymore. The spirit's gone. And you say, it looks like them, but it's not them. You know what James says? Faith without action. Kind of looks like faith. But it's not really faith. Because it demands that we do something. Today is an opportunity. One of the great days in church life. For us all to do something. Something very significant. Before we do that, I'm going to invite the team, if they're not already ready, to to begin to join me here on stage. I'm going to ask you to wait. Firstly, there's a great opportunity for fellowship. And please don't, don't rush off. Our service will finish on time. But before we go today, there are a couple of things that I really, really want us to do. The first thing is just to take a moment and bow our heads because before we, we action the things that God's stirring our hearts about in mission, I, I want to pray for people that want to experience that boundless, limitless, amazing love of God. So would you just for a moment, there's some movement around here on stage. That's okay. They're getting ready for something. Let's block out distraction just with, by bowing our head for a minute. I wonder if you're in this room. You're amazed that we read a story of a woman who the Bible says was once a prostitute. Man, she made some mistakes in life. No doubt there was a sense of abuse, pain, regret. But one day she encountered some people that pointed her to a living God. You're in the room today of people that are actually through our things we've said and sung. No doubt through conversations you've had and no doubt there's been people praying for you. It's brought you to this moment. They want to give you an opportunity to do what so many in this room have done, some recently and some many, many, many years ago. And all of them would say, we want you to have what we've got. Not religion, but relationship with a loving God. I wonder today... If you could just remember that one line I said, there's nothing you can do. There's no stairway to heaven. No good works will ever get you there. We hope you have been encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.